there is a month and a week left until the summer solstice and the time when the days begin growing shorter once again. Until then, there are now over 14 hours of sunlight in the section of the Earth where Charlottesville Community Engagement is produced on today, May 16th, 2022. That's enough light to ensure that this newsletter and podcast at least tries to bring as much information as possible. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, the Charlottesville Planning Commission recommends a seven-story building on Jefferson Park Avenue. A fatal crash on US-29 near Greenbrier Road has claimed the life of a Charlottesville man. An Augusta woman is the latest appointee to the State Board of Elections. And a quick update on COVID-19. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, we're now well into spring, and many of us may have already turned on our air conditioning units for the first time in months. To see what you can do to get the most out of your home, contact LEAP, your local energy nonprofit, to schedule a home energy assessment this month, just $45 for city and county residents. LEAP offers free home weatherization to income and age qualifying residents. If someone in your household is age 60 or older, or you have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements, such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. As the week begins, the Virginia Department of Health this morning reports a seven-day average for new COVID-19 cases at 2,750 a day, and the seven-day percent positivity has increased to 14.6%. The actual amount of spread is likely higher due to the number of home tests that have become common as a first diagnosis for many people. Dr. Kosti Safri is the Director of Hospital Epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System. There are many people that are calling saying I'm COVID positive and importantly um, and interestingly, uh, a fair number of those people um, have been vaccinated. With many more cases in the community, UVA officials say it's time to take precautions again. Wendy Horton is the CEO of the UVA Health System. Personally, I'm masking back up and, um, you know, I think a lot of people are making the decision. It's, it's people that have been really careful, vaccinated. And so I, I think it's just we're in this interesting time. We're really tired of, of masking, but I, I think it's alive and well. And uh, we, we know it. We see it in our workforce. We see it in our patients. The latest COVID model from the UVA Biocomplexity Institute was released on Friday. Here's a section. Models forecast a significant surge of cases in the coming weeks. Case rates are not expected to reach levels seen during the January wave, but they will likely exceed those seen in pre-Omicron waves. Dr. Sifri said ebbs and flows are likely to continue as COVID-19 continues to transition from pandemic to endemic. He said the same public health advice still exists. At a period of time like now when we're starting to see surging cases, this is the time to say, okay, in, in, in this time and place right now, um, wearing a mask is, is, is helpful. It's helpful 
you know, to prevent transmission and acquisition by me. It's also important because, you know, with, um, you know, COVID, it still remains the case that probably half or more than half of cases um, occur in people that are symptomatic or have such mild symptoms, they don't recognize that they're sick. And so it is helpful to protect um, our community. This week, the Virginia Department of Health is retiring several dashboards and ways of reporting COVID to the public. People who seek to know cases by vaccination status will need to go to the Centers for Disease Control website. Cases and deaths by date reported will also be phased out by the Virginia Department of Health. Those changes will take place on May 19th. The Virginia Department of Health has already stopped reporting cases by locality on its website. You can learn more about those changes on the VDH website. Albemarle County police are investigating the cause of a fatal crash last night in the 1200 block of US-29 near Greenbrier Drive. 36-year-old Justin Michael Tillman of Charlottesville died at the scene of the crash, which happened just after 9.20 last night. The driver of a second vehicle was taken to the University of Virginia Hospital. The Albemarle County Police Department's fatal crash reconstruction team is leading the investigation. This is the fourth fatality on Albemarle County roads so far in 2022. Governor Glenn Youngkin has named a member of the Augusta County Board of Elections to serve on the Virginia State Board of Elections. Youngkin named Georgia K. Alvis Long to the position. A press release identifies her occupation as a registered nurse instructor. Under Virginia law, the State Board of Elections is a five-member body that will have three members from the political party that won the governor's mansion in the last election. Here is Section 24.2-102 of Virginia Code. Each political party entitled to an appointment may make and file recommendations with the governor for the appointment. Alvis Long replaces Jamila Cruz, who was serving on the State Board of Elections in an interim capacity to fulfill an unexpired term. For more recent appointments, take a look at the full release from the governor. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. And in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, the Charlottesville Jazz Society is spotlighting a benefit event to support the people of Ukraine at the Whiskey Jar this Wednesday from 6.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. Young jazz students near the besieged city of Mariupol sent guitarist Royce Campbell a plea to help, and several area musicians have jumped in to help. Vocalist Monica Wirth has organized the event, and Campbell will play for Ukraine with bassist Andrea Lavelle and drummer Jim Howe. Many of Charlottesville's best jazz musicians will also sit in. Donations will be collected and sent to Global Giving's Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund, and you can also go ahead and support this effort with a payment online. That's We Play for Ukraine at the Whiskey Jar this Wednesday from 6.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. One long segment to go today, and it's a land use one in Charlottesville. A divided Charlottesville Planning Commission voted 4-3 to three on May the 10th to recommend that City Council approve a special use permit for additional height and density for a seven-story U-shaped building at 2005 Jefferson Park Avenue. They've also recommended reducing parking requirements by 20% over what would otherwise be required. Before we go further, please know the audio for this comes from a hybrid meeting where some of the sound bites sound a little wonky. 
nothing's quite back to normal yet. Either way, here is City Planner Matt Alfoley. The SUP is required to accommodate a development being proposed for 119 units of multifamily dwellings within, um, within one building with underground parking. This project was filed after the city adopted a new comprehensive plan and future land use map last November that was created as part of the Charlottesville Plans Together initiative, which is still underway. There are currently 17 units across multiple structures across that property. The future land use map, the comprehensive plan that we went through is increasing density and increasing density in certain areas of the city. In this area of the city, you know, is, is one that looking to increase density and to increase density, especially at this scale, under 19 units is going to create a big building. The developer would pay $500,000 into the city's affordable housing fund rather than provide affordable units on site or at another location nearby. They'll build 125 parking spaces in an underground garage with access on Washington Avenue. Residents of the building would not be eligible for parking permits to park on that street or observatory due to restricted parking. The building would be seven stories tall from Jefferson Park Avenue and would be five stories tall at its back. The biggest concern I think staff had was the rear elevation, um, was the five-story building uh, going down into the mainly single-family, two-family neighborhood. This special use permit request comes after City Council adopted that comprehensive plan with the future land use map that encourages more residential density, but before the new zoning rules have been written. City Councilor Michael Payne asked this question. Do you happen to know, and could you remind me in our future land use map, what this area is designated as and what the by right height would be um, in that corridor? Yes, Councillor, so the, this is um, mixed, uh, urban mixed use corridor and the height, this is where the height came up. So it's five stories or up to eight key intersections. Um, so, and this has been one of the um, areas where our comprehensive land, the land use map conflicts with our current zoning because our comprehensive land use map is anticipating our zoning changing. But the, the, the future land use map measures in stories and not feet. Under the existing zoning, the structure could be 35 feet tall without a permit. This is one of those areas that will be clarified during the zoning rewrite. Another is that the term key intersection is also currently not defined. Payne pointed out that the comprehensive plan seeks to encourage more units that would be rented to people below market price. The framework that we've adopted for that is that if we're going above the buy right height, the reason we're doing that is to have an inclusionary zoning program that's going to require affordable housing as part of that. Payne also suggested that that $500,000 as an affordable housing contribution would not go far. And I know it's their choice and we don't have any control over it, but I would just note for the record that we got an affordable housing report that included data on the sub total subsidy needed to construct a new affordable unit. And I can't remember the exact number, but I know in Virginia that total subsidy to build one new unit could be around $300,000. So just interesting for the record. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook noted that there had been a lot of concerns during the future land use map from other neighborhoods, such as North Downtown, but he had not heard much from the JPA neighborhood at that time. 
the one area where it seemed clear that everybody was willing to agree we should have increased density was along JPA, yet there was basically no public discussion of that fact. Until the rezoning is finalized, individual applications like this are the forum for how the city will look in the future, application by application. This project will also need a certificate of appropriateness from something called the Entrance Corridor Review Board. It's actually also the Planning Commission. They will get to influence design, as we'll talk about more in a moment. The developer said the area was already predominantly occupied by renters, and that this level of density is served by transit. Aaron Hannigan is with Mitchell and Matthews Architects and Planners. We are... One block away in each direction from the trolley stops. Hannigan acknowledged the future land use plan designation of urban mixed-use corridor and said this project meets the goals of the comprehensive plan. The further definition is higher intensity mixed-use development um, for for this area. And that's exactly what we're trying to do, a higher intensity development. Mixed-use is not allowed under the current R3 zoning condition. Hannigan acknowledged that the new building would be out of scale with what is currently there, but said the project anticipates the future conditions of JPA. This building might be taller than its current neighbors, but it won't be out of character with the future implementation of the comprehensive plan and the implementation of the vision that's been in the works for over 20 years for this particular neighborhood. At the public hearing, Nina Barnes of the Jefferson Park Avenue Neighborhood Association said the comprehensive plan compels council and the planning commission to take adverse effects into account when considering a special use permit. Adverse impacts may include traffic or parking congestion, undue density of population, and massing and scale. This project has adverse effects in all of these ways. Barnes said the seven-story building would block the sun from existing one- and two-story buildings. Ellen Contini-Marava said the staff reports seemed to be in favor of the developer and noted the gap between an adopted comprehensive plan and the older zoning. She said this undermines the spirit of the Seville Plans Together initiative. This application treats the rezoning that's proposed in the future land use map as if it were already in place. This application not only aims to short-circuit the rezoning process, but even requests a height that's two stories higher than the five stories suggested by the future land use map for the JPA corridor. Fifeville resident Matthew Gillikin spoke for the group Livable Seaville, which is not a registered entity with the State Corporation Commission, but is active in promoting higher density in the community. Gillikin said the answer to affordability is more housing. The developer is planning to contribute nearly $500,000 to the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund as a condition to build. This will help fund groups like CRHA, LEAP, AHIP, PHA, and Habitat for Humanity in the work to address local housing issues. Gillikin said approval of this project would prevent students from moving into local neighborhoods such as 10th and Page and Fifeville. These units at 2005 Jefferson Park Avenue would have no affordability provisions. For rent comparisons, let's look at the Standard, another building that was designed by Mitchell and Matthews Architects. According to their website, the lowest rent for a room in a four-bedroom unit goes for $1,029 a month. Double occupancy in a single-bedroom in a three-bedroom unit can go for $845 a month. 
one and two bedroom units at the standard are sold out. Pricing is not available online for the flats at West Village. The Lark on Main has a one bedroom unit available with a study for $1,879 a month. A room in a four bedroom, four bathroom unit costs $955 a month. For either one, garage parking is an extra $100. After the public hearing, Commissioner Hosea Mitchell said he supported the project, but did want the massing to be a little more consistent with the rest of the neighborhood. We do need more um, housing in Charlottesville, and we do need a bit of a relief valve. We need more housing in Charlottesville that's closer to UVA, so that the housing that's further away from UVA can uh, be, be used by uh, uh, the rest of our citizenry. Commissioner Tania Dowell said if the developer is going to ask for additional density based on the future zoning for the property, the spirit of the affordable housing plan must also be honored. Because that's where I'm really having some heartburn. If we're going to go off future endeavors for this project and this SUP, then we need to go off future endeavors for everything related to this. Commissioner Jody Lahendro said he could not support this level of density in this area, and especially with a building with that much massing. He said the comprehensive plan also calls for development on entrance corridors to be compatible with existing neighborhoods. I am not in favor of sacrificing uh, a long-term neighborhood for providing housing, student housing for the university. Um, I think the the people who have lived here, the um, the, the the single-family. Uh, homes, detached homes in this neighborhood uh, deserve, I mean, we can't just, just, we can't just pretend like they're not there. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg said he was reviewing the permit request under existing rules and was not looking ahead to the new zoning. Quoting the standards of review, he noted that the commission must review whether a proposal be harmonious with existing patterns of use and development in the neighborhood. But uh, it will shock you guys to learn, uh, harmonious is not actually defined in the code. Um, and so the question I think before us is whether a five-story building uh, can coexist uh, near, next to even um, smaller buildings, including detached houses. Um, you know, whether it's sacrificing the neighborhood um, in order to have a, a five-story building down the street. Um, and, you know, I'd note that there's already a four-and-a-half-story building at the head of the street. Bill Palmer is with the Office of the Architect at the University of Virginia and sits as a non-voting member of the Planning Commission. He said UVA is not at a time where they are being required by the Commonwealth of Virginia to increase enrollment. According to the UVA Office of Institutional Research and Analytics, there was an on-grounds enrollment in fall of 2021 of 16,793 undergraduates and 6,928 graduate students. If you look at our official projections, they're flat. Palmer said UVA is building additional housing on grounds, including a second new structure in the Brandon Avenue corridor. He also said the UVA initiative to build up to 1,500 new affordable units in the community includes a site further down from 2005 JPA in Albemarle County at the Piedmont housing site. In terms of having 
affordable housing close in the future that that will be a, a place of you know where the university is trying to to provide something council will hold the final decision but did not vote during what is their first reading a couple of them weighed in anyway Councillor Payne said he was frustrated that the affordability rules of the future land use map are not yet in place. This happened with another SUP a few weeks ago, where we're in this just strange situation where we're sort of evaluating decisions with the future land use map and zoning rewrite in mind. But if we're using that in our evaluation, that will include our framework of inclusionary zoning and affordable housing overlays, which are critical to the success of that plan for affordable housing. Councillor Brian Pinkston said he is leaning towards support because it did provide more housing close to the University of Virginia. I'm not able to fully articulate you know, how we square that with the, the, the point number one, which is, you know, is it harmonious? Uh, to some degree, I think harmoniousness may be in the eye of the beholder. Um, I will say that, again, I thought that in terms of how the the design was laid out and the fact that you've got seven stories in the front and five in the back. Um, I thought that there was some care and attention to trying to integrate in the neighborhood. Snook also said he had issues with the word harmonious and said the traditional form of land use control known as Euclidean zoning is not good at dealing with change. It doesn't allow for us to go gradually from uh, you know, a little bit of density to a little bit more density. It allows us to say, okay, we're going to rezone the entire block or the entire neighborhood, and it doesn't, but it doesn't let us go bit by bit. As the Entrance Corridor Review Board, the Planning Commission voted unanimously on a motion to acknowledge there would be an adverse impact, but that those impacts can be mitigated through the design process, and they suggested some conditions. However, as the Planning Commission, they considered a motion made by Stolzenberg to recommend approval. The vote was 4-3, to three, with Commissioners Stolzenberg, Mitchell, Kareem Habab, and Commission Chair Lyle Sola-Yates voting in favor. Commissioner Lehendro joined Tania Dowell and Commissioner Liz Russell in voting no. The next stop, City Council. The next stop for you, however, is the next edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement because you have reached the end of this one. There will be another one coming out tomorrow, hopefully catching up on all manner of things that have happened in recent times. I want to thank everybody who is subscribing and especially want to thank Ting for their recognition of the work that this is. Uh, they will match your initial payment through Substack if you have not made one yet. Uh, if you have, thank you so much. And of course, if you're at the $200 a year level, you do get the additional perk of shoutouts or you can subscribe through Patreon. There's all kinds of way to help fund this. I know it's confusing. I am trying to streamline it, but I'm also really just trying to make sure I get as much information to you as possible on a timely basis. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I will be back in the near future tomorrow with another installment. In the meantime, stay... What do you do to get rid of humidity? Stay something, because it's humid. Don't stay humid. Humidity's bad. Yet, maybe good. Who knows? Thanks for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>